My name is Keith Beavers, and this is episode one of season five. Five, wine lovers, we've come so far. Get ready. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast, Season 5. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair. Hi. We are going all the way back to Season 1, wine lovers. Do you remember when I did the Bordeaux episode and I said I didn't have time to get further into the history? Well, it's time to get into the history. when I did a full 20 minute or so breakdown on the enormous wine appellation that is Bordeaux. Well, in that episode, if you haven't listened to it, please listen to it because what you're about to what we're about to experience here on the Wine One podcast is a very in-depth history of this place because like let's think, let's like Okay, so we know everything about the Appalachians. We know all the classifications. We know what's red, what's white, what's blended, what's not blended, chateaus, non-chateaus, cru bourgeois, the Grave classification system, so turn, all this stuff. We got all that under our belt. We're good. We're confident we go into wine trust. But how did Bordeaux get here? Why is it so famous? What happened for us to get to this point where we have a wine region that produces more top quality or quote unquote fine wine than any other that has almost 300,000 acres under vine. It's a little over 276,000, but you know, I'm rounding up almost 7,000 producers, the biggest proportion of large wine estates than anywhere else in France of which the most famous only represent about 5% of the entire production of the region. And it's also a wine region where some of the best wines in this region can age for decades and only get better. How? Why? When? Well, we'll start with the when. We'll, that'll figure out the how, which then we'll get to the why. <laughs> so bear with me. On January 1st, 2016, a new administrative region of France was created. It was called Nouvelle-Aquitaine or the new Aquitaine. They merged south-southwest administrative regions into one. So there was Limousin was one, Aquitaine, or Aquitaine was one, and then poitou Charente. I'm probably not making that, probably not pronouncing that well. This became the largest administrative region in France. It's actually so big, it's just a little bit bigger than the entire territory of Austria. Just let that sink in for a second. And the capital of this administrative region is Bordeaux. Now, the word Aquitaine, or Aquitaine, which I'm probably going to say more often because it's just easier to say, is a very important word in the history of France and the history of Bordeaux. Actually, one of the former administrative regions that was that was merged into this, the, the Poitou 
uh, Charente is actually a very important place as well in the history of Bordeaux and its wine. Aquitaine was once considered the entire area of southwest France from the Loire Valley all the way down to the Pyrenees and then a little bit east of that. And back in antiquity, all of Europe was basically occupied by a bunch of different tribes that would eventually be conquered and eaten up and folded into the Roman Empire. The first mention of anything vine, anything wine in the Bordeaux area was in 379 AD by a Latin poet named Osonius. He had a couple poems and he mentioned the vines and where he was and how he loved his home and all that. And he lived, it is thought he either lived in Saint-Emilion or somewhere down in the Grave district of, of Bordeaux. Interestingly enough, one of the most famous chateaux on the right bank in Saint-Emilion is Chateau Osson. So they're saying, hey, dude was over here. So it's thought that the vine didn't get to Bordeaux area before it got to the Rhone Valley and all that area. And we're going to get into that in another episode. But in this region, which would eventually be called Aquitaine, there was a Gaelic tribe called the Biturges, B-I-T-U-R-I-G-E-S. And they lived in and around a town called what I believe is Bordigala, B-U-R-D-I-G-A-L-A. This is Bordeaux. But history doesn't really have any evidence of wine being made here. And two very famous ancient dudes who wrote things about things, like Strabo, who was a ge geographer of the area, he said that this area was a heavy, heavy commerce area. He didn't say anything about wine, but he said it was very commerce heavy. And that makes sense because Bordeaux has always been a port town. Then Pliny, our boy Pliny, also said that there was a vine here called Biturica, B-I-T-U-R-C-A. And what's interesting about that is the Biturages, the tribe, Bordigala, the town, and then Biturica, the vine. There's a lot of similarities there. And what's interesting is Cabernet Sauvignon, although it's not even close to being around yet, was once called Bidore, B-I-D-U-R-E. So there's always this callback to antiquity. And if this time in history is blurry for Bordeaux, so too is post-fall of the Roman Empire. But one thing is clear. The Romans, while they were doing their thing, they had this thing called foderati. And what that meant was they would find these barbaric tribes, these Gaelic or barbaric tribes, and they would ask them to help the Roman Empire in battles and wars and all different kinds of things in return for benefits within the Roman Empire. One of these tribes were called the Visigoths. They were initially way over towards Eastern Europe, but they were drawn from that area all the way over to what is what would be called Aquitaine, where Bordeaux is, to form an army to live and fight for the Roman Empire. So that is known. But once the Roman Empire fell, things get really blurry. But one thing is also true is the Visigoths ended up creating their own kingdom, and it spread from the Aquitaine area and kind of like northeast. And it was large. But in the 5th century, specifically 507 AD, another large tribe from the northeast called the Franks, led by a guy named Clovis, their king, 
swoops in and completely takes over that entire area, driving the Visigoths over the Pyrenees and into the north part of Spain, the Basque region. And to this day, it is thought that Aquitani, the language Aquitaine, was a precursor to the Basque language. And right here, wine lovers, is where things start to pop off. Clovis is a Frank. Therefore, when he died in 511, not long after he took over the entire Aquitaine area, he had four sons. And in other kingdoms, usually they would practice what is called primogeniture, which means the first or oldest son of the king becomes king. But the Franks had something called partible inheritance. And what that means is if you got four sons, each of them gets a piece of the kingdom. So the people that live in this kingdom are not ruled by one king, but they're ruled by four. And each of them has their own territory within the land that they own and live. It's complicated and it continued to be for centuries. I mean, this takes sibling rivalry to a whole new level. And this is not only important for France and wine in France in general, but it's very important for what happens in Bordeaux. Clovis is considered the, I guess, father of the monarchy of France. This is where it begins. And he had four sons, and eventually three of them died leaving Clotar, the last surviving son, in charge of the entire realm, if you will. Now, he had three sons. So when he died, everything split up again. And I mention this because this is where it seems Aquitaine starts showing back up on the maps. But it's not really called Aquitaine at this point. They called it Novum Papalina, the new population for now. Okay, Fast forward some kings because really this time of whew, this time in history is just a bunch of land grabbing. Everyone's so land grabby. All these powers just grabbing land and warring and killing each other, killing their fathers, their sons, their siblings. It's just out of control. But at some point there is a king called Pepin the Third, and when he dies, he has two sons, Carloman and Charles. They each get half the kingdom. So Carloman, I think he was the older one, he gets the western half of the kingdom, and Charles gets the eastern half of the kingdom. Charles had, let's just say Charles was a pretty ambitious dude. And in 771 AD, Carloman dies, leaving Charles the entire kingdom. Now, if you look at a map at this moment in time, you see something that looks a little bit like France. Charles would become known as the father of Europe. Charles the Great, otherwise known as King Charlemagne. He was one of the most ambitious kings France has ever had, and he did love wine. There's a whole lot of information about his love for wine, but the one thing about Charlemagne was interesting. He didn't drink much, and he did not like getting drunk, and he didn't like his people getting drunk, so that was pretty interesting. But this is where Bordeaux pops up. It's said that he had an interest in the vineyards of Fransac. So here we see there are vines and wine being made. Even though there's not a lot of documentation about it, that shows that there was some interest. So something's happening over in Aquitaine down on the Gironde. Now, at the time of Charlemagne, it was known as a very prosperous time for France. But after he died, 
France became sort of decentralized. And this becomes the era of the princes or the duchies, the dukes. And this is where Aquitaine comes back in full force. The Bordeaux area is split into two duchies. Duchies? Is that how you say it? I don't even know. The, the Duchy of Aquitaine and the Duchy of Gascon. Gascony. So this is 9th century Europe. By the 11th century, this is what Europe considers the, um, the era of economic expansion. So from here on out, Aquitaine is very important in the land grabbiness because it has La Rochelle. And during this expansion of economics in Europe, La Rochelle is a very important port town. It's where all the wealth comes and goes. It's north of Bordeaux. In Bordeaux, they're just growing corn. I'm sure there's some vines and there's some salt flats, and that's what they're doing. But at the time, La Rochelle did have wine happening, and most of that wine was coming from Caor. Caor, we've talked about in previous episodes. It's where Cote is from. That's Malbec. But in 1066, more land grabbing has happened where this dude named Guillaume, who's a ruler of France, he was promised the English throne. He wanted, to, he wanted everything from Aquitaine all the way up through Normandy and into England. He was denied it, and so he went over and invaded, killing the dude who took the throne anyway, Harold, and he became the Duke of Normandy and the King of England. This is important because this sets up a situation for two very important things to happen for Bordeaux in the near future. But what this does, this event in 1066, is it brings the two powers into each other's orbit that would be filled with conflict for the next three centuries. And within those three centuries, things happen that are good for Bordeaux. And territories switch back and forth. It's, it's a little bit dizzying, but in 1100, England has a king, King Henry I. He has a daughter and a son. His son dies, leaving no heir to the throne. So he marries his daughter to the Count of Anjou, Geoffrey Plantagenet. Big deal. In 1122 in Aquitaine, in a town called Poitiers, which is within the current area of poitiers chantre which was then recently merged into Nouvelle-Aquitaine in 2016. In that little town, a girl is born by the name of Eleanor, Eleanor of Aquitaine. So let's set the scene here. At this point in history, La Rochelle is thriving with wealth, and the 12th century was its sort of peak. Bordeaux sees this and says, whoa, we have a port town, this seems profitable, and they start pivoting from grain to vine. Now, around this time, France is ruled by King Louis. Um, so many kings, it's just, it's just ridiculous. But the thing about King Louis is he was friends with the Duke of Aquitaine. And before the Duke of Aquitaine dies, he asks King Louis to take care of his daughter, Eleanor, when he passes on. So that in 1137, when King Louis dies, his son, Louis VII, is married to Eleanor of Aquitaine. Before this point, Aquitaine was kind of semi-independent, but now it comes under the rule of the throne. The French throne, that is. How's your brains doing? There's more. This is going to get crazy. Louis VII and Eleanor are not really married, but they're in something called, they're held in a personal union. That means that Aquitaine is still in Eleanor's possession. 
Now, you remember the Plantagenets who are over on the English throne? Well, instead of Geoffrey Plantagenet, an heir grabbing the throne in England, the nephew of Henry I, Stephen, takes it and leads to a civil war in the UK. Matilda, the daughter of Henry I, dies, leaving her son, also named Henry of Anjou, to follow in her footsteps. Now, Louis VII and Eleanor were not getting along. He was very pious, and Eleanor did not like that. She said married, being married to him was like being married to a monk. So they end up divorcing. And Henry of Anjou, soon to be Henry II, King of England, ends up marrying Eleanor that same year after the divorce, like the same year. And this being a real marriage, Henry II takes Aquitaine all the way up through France and into the northern part of England. He takes all of it. This ushers in the Avagine Empire, not the biggest deal, but that's just what it's called because of its Anjou connection because of Henry. So for whatever reason, when she was with Louis VII, she couldn't produce a son or an heir. But with Henry II, Henry Plantagenet, she produced five sons. So the marriage between Henry and Eleanor was very important, right? Because now Aquitaine is under French rule again. But now King Louis finally has a son... And his name is Philip Augustus, and he becomes one of the most, one of the greatest medieval kings in all of Europe's history. But his main goal was to break up the Avagine, the, the Anjou Empire. Back in the UK, Henry dies, and because this is primogeniture and not partable inheritance, his oldest son, Richard I, becomes the king of England. The three brothers younger than him, they quarrel, they fight, they kill each other. I can't remember what happens, but they all die, except for the youngest, who's John. Now, John was loved by their parents and not so much by their older, his older brothers, but when they're all dead, he's king. King John I comes to power in England, the youngest son of Eleanor of Aquitaine. With this conflict between England and France going on still, John is plunged into this war. He handles it poorly. He's very corrupt. This is actually the time when Robin Hood comes around because he was such a corrupt king that the, it was very romantic to hear about, you know, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. King John actually faces insurrection from his barons. He needs to start pleasing people. So because they own the Bordeaux area, by this point in the 13th century, Bordeaux is actually making wine, sending wine out from their port, but because of this crazy war between the French and the English, they are, well, their ships are subjected to what is called the Grand Custom or Grand Coutume, which is a very high export tax the Bordeaux have to pay to get their ships out of the port and into the Atlantic Ocean. John is like, look, I'm going to make you guys my friends. And he starts giving them all these privileges. And one of the things he does do is he makes an exemption for that tax. Right there, that moment, that is the moment when Bordeaux's uh, prominence becomes realized. It started with the marriage between Henry and Eleanor, to grab all that land. And then here we are with John, who is an, a, a, a British king, giving an exemption to Bordeaux, which is now under British rule for now. And that's how they start to thrive. But because of how terrible John was as a ruler, in 1224, Aquitaine and Bordeaux falls back under French rule. And by this point... Bordeaux had taken dominance over Lower Shell because of a 
tax situation where wines coming from other places like Gascony through Bordeaux had to pay a Bordeaux tax. And in not only that, but they weren't even allowed through that port until a certain time. I think it was sometime after Christmas. And because of those delays and because of that tax, once Bordeaux fell back under French rule, there was just no way Le Rochelle could actually compete with the commercial success and dominance of Bordeaux. At this point, Bordeaux becomes begins to be, this is like when it really starts to become prominent. This is when it really starts to ramp up. By the 14th century, the majority of wine being grown in Bordeaux was in Grave. If you listen to the Bordeaux episode I did in the first season, you'll kind of get a sense of that. That's where the natural character of Bordeaux, or Bordeaux began because the Dutch hadn't even gotten here yet. We haven't even drained the Medoc yet. So this is where it was all happening. In 1305, a dude by the name of Raymond Bertrand de Goth it's a really great name, is given by his brother to him a vineyard because this dude, Raymond, would become Pope Clement V. And this is where the first chateau pops up in Grave, but actually in Pesac, which, as you know, has become, you know, separated from Grave. He would eventually hand it down to his predecessor and Pope Clement V is known for actually taking the papacy away from Rome, which is kind of crazy at the time, apparently, to Avignon, would eventually buy Avignon, and that would become the papal estates of Avignon. And that's some crazy Rome history right there. We'll get into that at some point. And this, wine lovers, is how Bordeaux begins its history. But we're not there yet. This is not a Bordeaux that we recognize. Because at this point in history, there was a big interruption called the Hundreds Year War, which is actually 116 years long, and it was actually four wars, but they were really kind of back to back. But after this war, or wars are done in 1453, France changes, the world changes, and Bordeaux changes with it. I'll see you next week. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.